A gospel worker we'll call Brother James works with teams to spread the gospel in Syria, Iraq, Jordan, and Lebanon. In this area, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We have like 19 provinces where there are absolutely no churches. Jesus commanded us as he looked out and he saw vast fields in need. He commanded us to pray for workers. In the face of a population of 24 million people that live in those areas, it is a very vast field and there are no workers in those provinces. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we are in the studio today with a gospel worker active in the Middle East. As we often do here on VOM Radio, we're just going to use one name because we want to protect his security and protect his identity. So we're just going to call him Brother James. Brother James is a worker with Operation Mobilization. He's lived in the Middle East for more than a decade. He's lived in several different countries there, knows the area very well. Brother James, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you. As we start out today, just just give us an idea of what your work is like, what you do, maybe kind of paint the picture of what an average day is for you in the field. As a worker with Operation Mobilization in the Middle East, our whole team is passionate about seeing reproducing churches established in the Middle East, particularly uh, the regions of the Middle East where there are no churches. In the four countries that I work in, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and Iraq, we're very passionate about finding people that God is working in already, that the Holy Spirit is already working in, and come alongside them. These might be people that aren't even believers in Jesus Christ, but uh, it's coming alongside them and leading them into a relationship with Jesus, and then discipling, equipping, and training them to lead others who will lead others, to establish churches and multiplying churches uh, in our area. We do this, like I said, with maybe non-believing folks. We're also partnering with believing folks and existing churches and come alongside them where they are and help equip and resource them to better reproduce in the places where we are. What are the qualities that you want to see in somebody that says, hey, this is somebody who, who we think God is going to use them to plant churches? What What kind of qualities or what fruit are you looking for in their life? Obedience. <laughs> you know, this is the, the hallmark of, of someone that can make a difference in the place that they are. And to be honest, we really don't know when I start with someone uh, in a van with me or when I'm meeting a big pastor, even in our region. It's hard to know, uh, is this someone that God is or could use to make an even more massive impact in the place that they are? And uh, so in a way, we often see ourselves like big spotlights that are shining lights, and it's a bit crass, but uh, if you take a, a spotlight into a dark room, you might run into moths and cockroaches. And uh, <laughs> we feel like our job is to be that spotlight and find out, are we dealing with moths or are we working with cockroaches? 
if you're a cockroach, as we speak about the gospel, or as we speak about the gospel in you, making a multiplying impact in the places where you are, and you're not attracted, you just scurry away. Yeah. Where a moth is attracted to that. And uh, so that's really our big job is to live out the life of Christ and model it, model reproduction even, which at its base is, is obedience. And uh, people that are attracted to that come alongside and those that don't scurry away. So there's a bit of intentionality, I guess, in shining the light. And that's one of our uh, biggest tasks. One of the challenges, though, for people in that part of the world, particularly Muslims, obviously when they come to faith, there's a price to be paid for that. What is the reality for someone you meet in one of those countries who is a, a Muslim who makes that decision to follow Christ? What's going to happen to them? What could happen to them can really vary. But uh, I think the gospel makes it very clear that there is a cost for following Jesus. In the places that we serve, there's always a heavy cost. The cost can, can just mean years, a handful of years of awkwardness um, with your family. And uh, different families react to that in different ways. Some in a, in a kinder, gentle form, and then become a bit difficult, but short of physical abuse. Others bring in other members of society or religious leaders. A, a dear brother of mine, his, he and his dad have had a, had a decent relationship, and he could see his dad just not knowing how to deal with this new event and the shame that it was bringing on in the community. And he invited a, a local religious man to come in, and all night they beat him oh um, in order to get the evil spirit that had come into him out and that he would return to the family religion. And, and this was a man, his father, who was not himself very religious, but religion, culture, for many Muslims, their whole identity is wrapped up in being a Muslim. So in that situation, because you know there's a price to be paid, what do you do with new believers to prepare them to pay that price? How do you how do you help them be ready to have their family members bring in someone to beat them and not give up their faith? Yeah, we're very upfront with them. And it's not very hard because really as we're training and equipping people, as much as we can, we try to do it via inductive Bible study. And the Bible is just littered with stories or warnings that there's a price to pay, you know, for following Jesus or for doing what God wants us to do. We intentionally seek to bring these scriptures to people, but as people themselves, new believers are getting into the Word, they're just they're coming across, and it, it's very plain to them. So there's two other things that we do, and it is trying as much as we can to disciple and equip new believers in a community so that they're not alone, and sometimes even discipling them in front of non-believing relatives. Um, they might not see the whole process, but that it's not a secret thing. Our Eastern cultures do very few things individually. I grew up understanding discipleship as something that occurred at like 6.30 at the IHOP, the International House of Pancakes, <laughs> with a man 20 years older than me and a leather Bible going through Romans or something. 
And it, it was very off to the side. My uh -huh. parents actually wouldn't know what was going on there. And in Eastern societies, nothing is really done alone. I think it's also establishing community for them. So a small group, uh, a church, a place that they can come back to, another relationship, and as much as possible uh, along those trust lines. I think the other thing is to really help our friends identify what are the right obedient steps to take. And in almost all of our Bible studies, we ask people to do two things at the end. One is ask if this passage of scripture is true, how am I, how do, what changes in my life do I have to make? How do I obey this? Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, who else do you know has to hear this message? As we ask those two questions, we can help each other what are really effective obedience steps. Uh, I had a friend, he said, I can't tell anybody, you know, do you know what this means? Uh, and this is maybe not in a physical way, but do you know my obedience to Christ here? If people knew I was a Christian, the, the authorities that control our area would shut my shop down. And it's happened, right. maybe not for religious reasons, right. but when you're in the outs with the authorities that be, you whether they be living. religious or yep. political, yeah, they're going to put me on some kind of black, unofficial blacklist, but everybody will know there's a dot next to my name. And, you know, we were talking back and forth and just thinking through the people that are in his life. And uh, his his wife is just a dear lady who really respects him. She herself wasn't religious at all. And I said, you know, what about sharing some of these small changes that have happened in your life in the last week or so as a result of, of uh, getting to know Jesus? isn't she a safe person to share that with? And yeah. And uh, well, what about your brother-in-law? His brother-in-law was actually from a different country, didn't have close social ties, and someone that was maybe a, a person thinking outside the box a little bit. And he said, oh, yeah, share with them. <laughs> and then there was another guy down the street, and that just got him in a pattern of doing bite-sized steps of obedience and beyond obedience, being intentional to share. And, you know, two weeks later, I went back and he he was sharing with me how he had been sharing with the barber next door. And that was like someone that he would clearly, he didn't have any ties to. And, but, you know, the Holy Spirit, as he sought to share, opened up doors that were not threatening to that barber and just left a question for that barber so he can know was that barber a cockroach mm -hmm. or a moth? Or a you moth. Know? We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Brother James. He is an operation mobilization worker in the Middle East. You know, OM is one of our key partners at VOM, particularly in the Middle East region. Can you talk a little bit, James, about what VOM does to assist you and assist the work that you're doing there? VOM is helping us in several key areas. I'd say the... Uh, the first area is coming behind us uh, and supporting trainings that we're offering for local believing folks, often people in local churches. We live in a new Middle East. Things are happening these days, which we haven't seen before, especially due to the crises that are happening in our region, as well as other political turmoil. We're seeing uh, alongside globalization, alongside all these things that on the outside can be very threatening. 
and scary. And we say, how can God be a part of it, especially the wars? God is using these things to shake things up, both outside the church and inside the church. Uh, VOM uh, has been helping us fund some of the trainings that we're doing, both for believers from a Muslim background as, as well as partners and friends in local churches to see them become more effective. The second area is in the area of coming alongside particular believers who are facing challenges, economic challenges, maybe someone's lost jobs and and can't be rehired because they're known as a follower of, of Jesus, offering other advocacy, assistance, just some basic funds because they've been driven out of their area and are on the street. And the third way is through our relief and development projects. We have seen in Iraq and Syria and the refugees that have been forced out of those countries and those in those countries that have been internally displaced, people in great need. And the the church in the region has stepped up in many ways to meet those physical needs of the people around them. And uh, a lot of our church partners uh, have come to us and said, we the need is so great, we need some uh, funding help. We also need help in understanding how do we understand who is really in need? How do we set up processes mm-hmm. to identify uh, where there is real need? And um, so th- through our contacts uh, internationally and including VOM, been able to help source some funding to actually meet the physical needs uh, of people around them. And as Muslims have been served so well by people who call themselves believers in Jesus Christ, it has made a significant impact. Uh, many of our churches, many evangelical churches throughout our region are small. 20, 40, 60, 80 people would be a very large church. As they've reached out, and some of them feeding 2,000 families. Wow. You will see these churches that maybe were 60 or 80 before the crisis being easily 180 people. <laughs> and uh, and most of those new people would be Muslim converts, uh, people who are coming to faith out of Islam? Yeah, maybe not Muslim converts yet, uh-huh. a good number of them, uh-huh. but people that are willing to come and they want to hear, hear more. what's going on. You know, some feel like these people are helping us out. The least we can do is show up. But through hearing the gospel, through mixing with believers more than they ever have in their life, many are coming to faith. And we're also seeing churches emerge where there hadn't been churches before directly, as we see churches in other parts of a country meet needs of people that are from a region where there was no church, come to faith, be equipped, be trained, to see the gospel taken back to their home villages. More and more, we feel a burden to see more workers get into these least reached places. And some of our training also includes a school, training people up how to go cross-culturally. Even if you're an Arab, if you go to a different country, it's very different mm-hmm. than where where you're from. And uh, when you're serving the Lord and making a large impact on people in a place far from home, there's lots of issues running a two-year program to launch local people into these least-reach areas. A a new initiative um, we've been working very hard on in the last few years, and uh, 
an area that you can come alongside and pray for more workers and then also for the, the wisdom and how to train up and properly equip them. And also as these workers go out, how do they penetrate communities where the gospel presence has been very little and definitely not on the ground? Right. What impact is the radical groups? I'm thinking of ISIS. I'm thinking of Hezbollah, these really radical Islamic groups. How does that play into the minds of the Muslims like that you witness to? When is that causing division? Is it causing hesitation? Or is it making people think more about eternal things and, and what it really means to be a Muslim? I mean, first of all, I think it's important to realize that Muslims are the biggest victims of the actions of radical Islam. Um, Absolutely. You know, as we look at the millions of uh, refugees or internally displaced people as a result of, of just the, the crises in Iraq and Syria, they're predominantly Muslim. Many Muslims are, clearly see this as we talk with them and realize this is, this is Muslim-on-Muslim conflict. Uh, also, refugees are often very frustrated that their own communities or their own faith networks the Muslims have not really met their physical needs. So a combination of being put in a very difficult situation by other Muslims and then seeing, hey, wait, the only people here that are clearly reach, helping us are Christians. Are Christians, and we're supposed to hate them, <laughs> but they're helping us. Yeah. The door is wide open. You know, it's, it's at least a place to start. For many years, we would send teams into the into remote areas of these countries, these same places where there are no churches, and the the security from the authorities would follow them for hours before they reached these places, and uh, while they were there, they would follow them behind in a car <laughs> or whatever, and it just made it impossible to get to know anybody on the ground for the day or two or week that they were going to be in those areas, or sometimes just plainly off, uh, ushered out of these towns. It's from these places that the majority of refugees are are coming from. And so places that it was very hard to have a one-on-one, a face-to-face meeting for a Christian to, to these folks now are put in a place where they're forced to come to churches, forced to seek out aid and help. And uh, it allows at least the gospel to be demonstrated and spoken and explained of all that these people have suffered, we don't want to be trite in saying it's a real opportunity. You know, it's a constant reminder, actually, that uh, God is redeeming all things. Mm-hmm. You know, these wars, all the ugliness that we see, this is totally against God's plan for us. Yet He uses all things. You know, and He, he seems to be using the ugliest things um, and making such a stark contrast out of them. Let's talk about your safety, because we <laughs> we talk about ISIS. Uh, obviously, they are not fans of Americans. Do you worry about, you know, your personal safety in, in that region? It's not a worry. And as an American, there's also special privileges that come with it. That's a great reminder. Uh, special, I think, a bit of fear or something, respect— 
that groups have, it's a big thing to cause difficulty to American, where it's not a difficult thing to cause a problem to a poor Syrian or a poor Iraqi. In many ways, as we encourage our partners, our friends to be bold, we have to do it from a position realizing that they're in harm's way to a much greater extent than than we are. But at some point, did you go through a process of saying, okay, Lord, I'll go to the Middle East. I know something bad could happen, and and I trust you? Yeah, I think we all have to do that. I mean, our eyes are wide open. Concerned friends of ours have given us access to security reports in these countries. It is truly disturbing what happens every day. Yeah. You know, as God calls us to things, as God puts a passion on your heart or a compassion on your heart, and you see the great need, the the vast need that there is in our region. I mean, it's just so clear how much our region needs Christ, needs the impact of churches that as he gives you that call, he also gives you the resources that you need. And so one of the resources is just a real piece about the things that, that we're doing, the places that we live, even our children. I think as a father now, who I was in the region before I had children, this is the area that I need a double portion. Uh-huh. That piece, is that something that you had to strive for or ask God for? Or did God just said when he called you, he just gave you the peace that, that I'll take care of you. It's something that he's just granted me maybe more naturally than maybe someone else. And this is the beauty of the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. isn't it? You know, he's given us all talents, personalities, and it all comes together. And by having his right people at the right spot at the right time. So. Let's talk a little bit about outreach to Muslims, because one of the things that I always want to do on VOM Radio is equip American believers who are listening to this program, they have a, a Muslim classmate or a Muslim coworker or a neighbor, and and they would like to talk to them about Jesus, but they feel intimidated. You know, how, I don't know all the answers. I don't know the Quran well enough. How am I going to—how would you advise them uh, to, to kind of start that pathway and start reaching out to that Muslim friend? With, with new believers in the Middle East— Uh, We encourage them to do one thing, and I think I would encourage Americans to do that as well, and it is to love on the people around you. We always ask each other, we ask new believers, is your voice loud enough? Or is we go back to the illustration of the light. Is your light bright enough? Can people around you really understand that there's something different about you? And uh, as they do, people are going to ask questions. And sometimes we have to intentionally share with people the difference that Christ is making in our lives. But I think keeping it very personal, I think having not lived here, and I I really only visit America, (laughs) I I get a sense, though, from Muslims that I do meet that they are lonely. And there are many Muslims who are not yet a part of mainstream America. There's a lot of Muslims and a lot of need, uh, recent immigrants in need of understanding language and understanding our bureaucracies, understanding how to get papers done from a city council or the state, or they're moving their green card papers forward. And there's many opportunities to provide services to to these people. Uh, there's many opportunities to just introduce yourself to a Muslim neighbor, 
take an interest, you'll probably stand out from the rest of your neighbors if if you do that. If you do that, absolutely. Not, not just because they're Muslims. Well, so, and you've talked about the fact that the sense of community that they come from is such a vital part of their lives. They come to America, and that's completely gone. And Americans have an opportunity to say, hey, be a part of our community. We'll welcome you in. It's an amazing opportunity, but most of us don't take advantage of it. I think it comes back to a lot of us. What has changed in my life as a result of my relationship with Jesus in the last 24 hours, the last week? Am I still telling the story that happened to me eight months ago? I really need to get back closer to my Lord and uh, repent of things and see change so I can go across the street and share. Well, and I love the way you challenge your workers overseas— you know, if if this passage that I've just read in the Bible is true, what do I need to do? How do I need to respond to that? And then, secondly, okay, who do I need to tell? Um, that's a that's a great foundation for any Christian. Uh, yeah. Christians in America, Christians go to church on Sunday, come out of there, and say, okay, if that's true, what do I got to do? And now, who do I need to tell about it? Brother James is from Operation Mobilization, working in the Middle East. As we finish up, Brother James, I want to equip our listeners to pray for your part of the world. We obviously want to pray for the church, but we also want to pray for Muslims to come to know Christ. Um, share with us kind of some specific ways that you would encourage us to pray. In the four countries that I work in, uh, Syria, Iraq, Jordan, and Lebanon, we have like 19 provinces where there are absolutely no churches. Jesus commanded us as he looked out and he saw vast fields in need. He commanded us to pray for workers. In the face of a population of 24 million people that live in those areas, it is a very vast field, and there are no workers in those provinces. So I guess I'd ask the first thing is to pray for workers for these fields. Let's pray for local people that are living in those provinces or in the province nearby or in a country nearby to come respond to the things that the Holy Spirit is saying. And there are some unique people that God has called to go to those places and also for the gospel to be understood by non-believers in those places. We live in a very unique time where there is internet, there's many satellite channels that present the gospel in Arabic. And so to secondly, after praying for workers, to also pray for people to respond to the things that the Holy Spirit is saying to them in those, in those areas. Brother James, thank you for your work. Thank you for sharing with us a little bit about what's happening in the Middle East, what God is doing. Uh, We want to pray for you also and your family, that God will continue to use you and watch over you there. Uh, What would you say is your biggest challenge in in the work right now? What's the hardest part or or the most challenging sort of thing that you're trying to overcome? Uh, Personally, it is my three children. (laughs) Many, many parents that might be listening, I, 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 I think they could sympathize. Just, you know, we have three kids, three, five, and seven. And just, Lord, just like many of you ask, you know, how do I really provide properly for them? You know, it's something that's on the heart of my wife and I is, Lord, what, how can we be used? And what are the things that we can do just to give them a chance to really understand you and enjoy all the fruit that comes from knowing you and living a life for you. I think that one of the major challenges that we face these days is actual funding 
for these church planters, but just praying for direction in that area. I think that is the top area on our hearts these days. James, thank you for being with us today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and, and thank you for sharing your heart. It's a pleasure. I really appreciate our partnership with VOM. Thank you for listening as well. You can listen again to our interview with Brother James at vomradio.net. You can also sign up there and subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss an episode of VOM Radio. We're going to be back next week talking again about the Middle East, uh, about what God is doing in that part of the world. So come back and join us next week here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.